papers as far away as St. Louis and Chicago, and on the Terre Haute and Indianapolis television stations, people who would be in the notebooks of all the magazine writers who'd come, slick-talking out-of-towners with questions. Newshounds from inside Detective Police Gazette. They'd want to know how to find so-and-so. I've never been able to tell this story in my part in it until now, but listen, I'll say it true. A man can live with something like this only so long before he has to make it known. My name is Henry Dees, and I was a teacher then, a teacher of mathematics and a summer tutor for the children, like Katie, who needed such a thing. I'm an old man now, and even though more than thirty years have gone by, I still remember that summer and its secrets and the way the heat was and how the light stretched on into evening like it would never leave. If you want to listen, you'll have to trust me. Or close the book. Go back to your lives. I warn you, this is a story as hard to hear as it is for me to tell. Gilly. We were eating supper. That's what I remember, the four of us sitting at the table. Mom and Dad and me and Katie. It was just a night like that, a summer night. And pretty soon Katie would finish her lemon sherbet and ask to be excused and then run up the street to find her friend Renee Cherry. That's what would have happened. I've known it all these years. Renee and Katie would have made up, said they were sorry about the quarrel they'd had that morning, and played until dark when Mom would have called my sister in. But before any of that could happen, I said, Katie didn't take back her library books. I was still mad at her because sometime that afternoon she'd gone into my room and listened to my Carol King album, Tapestry, and left a scratch on the It's Too Late track, so it stuck on the chorus, Too late, too late, too late, and I wanted to pay her back. I wanted to see her get in Dutch with Dad, who had warned her about keeping library books past the due date. Good golly, little Miss Katie, he told her at breakfast. If you're not careful, you'll be living a life of crime. We knew we were a family that people noticed, envied even, for our wealth and my father's influence in our town. Our family had owned Mackie Glass for years, and my father always told us we had to be careful not to screw up, not to give anyone a reason to think less of us. If the police come looking for you, he said to Katie, I'll tell them we tried our best to bring you upright, but you wouldn't listen. Now I mean it, Katie. Take those books back today. But she didn't. She and Renee spent all morning on the front porch. They were there when I was getting ready for work. I was 17 that summer, and I was a clerk and stock boy at the J.C. Penney store downtown. I was standing in front of my dresser mirror, nodding my necktie, and I could hear Katie and Renee in the porch swing. The chains creaked as the swing moved back and forth. Katie and Renee were playing their favorite game, It's Gotta Go, where they made choices between things that they dearly loved. Pepsi or Coke, spaghetti or macaroni, Little Dot or Little Lulu, puppies or kittens, Barbie or Skipper, you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, or hello mother, hello fada, Christmas or your birthday. Making a choice was heartbreaking and took hours. 
Often they'd end up bawling. They'd hug each other and agree that it was necessary. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't matter. It proved how much they really loved the things they said they'd let go. Renee's mother, Margot, claimed to have ESP, the sixth sense, she called it. A sign in front of her house said, We'll tell you your entire life without asking a single question. I'd gone to her earlier that summer, just for a kick. She held my hands, turned them over, and traced the lines in my palms. You will be chosen, she told me. Soon a light will find you. Don't look away. On the porch, Katie and Renee were trying to decide between the Partridge family and the Brady Bunch. One of them had to go. Katie said that Keith Partridge was dreamier than Greg Brady, but she'd much rather be friends with Marcia than with Laurie Partridge. Marcia was just so cute, and her hair was perfect. Laurie was too skinny, and Katie was fairly certain that she didn't really know how to play that electric piano. Renee, who usually took her cues from Katie, said yes, that was true, but who wouldn't choose Peter Brady over Danny Partridge? Maybe I wouldn't, Katie said. The swing's chain stopped creaking. Someone, maybe Renee, dragged her feet over the porch floor. You can't mean that, she said, and she sounded very serious, like a grown-up. You've got to be kidding. Danny instead of Peter? No way. Danny isn't nice. I finished knotting my tie and went over to look out the window. A robin was parading around the lawn. The grass, still wet from the sprinkler, sparkled in the sunlight. The petunias in my mother's flower beds smelled sweet. Their pink and red and white petals ruffled in the breeze. I think he's funny, Katie said. He's not funny, said Renee. He's retarded. What about me? Katie was getting worked up, the way she did sometimes. She could be a drama queen, in love with the spotlight. The day before, she'd worn sunglasses and posed on the stone bench in our backyard so I could take her picture with my Polaroid camera. I knew her eyes were wide open now as she faced Renee, and her cheeks were filled with air. When she got like that, I told her she looked like Porky Pig. I'm funny, she said to Renee. I always make you laugh when I do my Donald Duck voice. Isn't that funny? No, it's retarded. You're the retarded one, Katie said. For a good while, neither of them said anything. The only sound was the wind through the trees. Then Renee said, Maybe I should just go home now. Katie agreed. Maybe you should. Do you want me to go? If that's what you want. All right. I guess you want me to go. So Renee left, and Katie ran into the house bawling, and she never got around to taking her books back to the library. She ruined my new record instead, and even though I wanted to feel sorry for her because she'd had that fight with Renee, I couldn't, and I said what I did, and Dad blew his top. Katie. He leaned across the table and shook a finger at her. What did I tell you? She jumped up from her chair. I'm going to take them back right now. She was wearing a pair of orange shorts and a black T-shirt. Her brown hair, lightened from the sun, was combed off her forehead and pinned with gold barrettes. 
The library's open until seven o'clock. I've got plenty of time. She never even stopped to put on sandals. They were right there at the back door, but she didn't put them on. I thought about stopping her. I thought about saying, Katie, your sandals. But I didn't. She was barefoot, and she swung open the screen door. She threw her library books into her bicycle basket, and I watched her stand up on the pedals until she reached the top of the hill. Then she sat down and bent over her handlebars, and her long hair flew out behind her, and I watched her until she was gone. Claire. The idea was to build a porch on the front of the house. Ray said he could put it up in a whip stitch. He'd build it out of cement blocks so it'd never rot. He'd put a shingle roof over it and hang a swing from the rafters so we could sit out there of an evening, the two of us, Ray and me, just like folks do. Maybe then, he said, the high and mighty neighbors would come to visit and we'd all gab as the sun went down. When the mosquitoes came out and the lightning bugs, Ray would say, How about a game of cards? Everyone would come into the house and we'd play a few hands of pinochle at the kitchen table. Ray would turn on the radio. I'd serve strawberry shortcake because it was that time of year, June, when the strawberries were ripe. How'd that be, he asked me, pinochle and music and strawberry shortcake. And I told him I believed that it'd suit me just fine.